Verizon, in its data breach investigations report for 2012, calls 2011 the year of the hacktivist. According to Verizon's research, last year saw a quote-unquote dramatic rise in hacktivism. So what cyber vulnerabilities does the new research reveal, and what steps are organizations expected to take to protect themselves from some of these socially and politically motivated attacks? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Chris Porter of Verizon, who shares some interesting ideas about some of the key findings from this updated research. Chris, the 2012 Data Breach Investigations Report includes in-depth analysis of more than 850 international data breach cases and some year-over-year comparisons. What can you tell us about the survey and some of its general findings? Well, well, first, thank you, Tracy, for inviting us to chat today about our report. Um, I'm not sure how familiar folks are with the Data Breach uh, series, uh, but uh, I thought I'd go over uh, a couple of uh, things about it. Um, so this is an ongoing study um, of our forensics investigations into data breaches. Um, our report and all the reports that we've done previously um, only include cases of confirmed data compromise. Um, so this is not survey data um, about data breaches, but these are based on actual investigations that were either done by our forensics investigation team or some of our partners that I'll talk about here in a moment. Um, and this is our fifth annual report, not including some of the supplemental reports that we've done. Um, and this series spans eight years' worth of uh, data breach incident information. Um, this year, we're joined again by the United States Secret Service, as well as the Dutch High Tech Crime Unit. Um, but we've also added three new participants. Uh, we have the Australian Federal Police, uh, the Irish Reporting and Information Security Service, uh, or IRIS, um, as well as the Police Central E-Crimes Unit, um, or PCEU, of the London Metropolitan Police. Um, as you mentioned earlier, um, this, this study uh, this year covers 855 breaches um, that were investigated in uh, 2011. Um, that is our highest ever by far for any single year. Um, in 2009, uh, the combined Secret Service and Verizon caseload had a, around 141. Um, and then uh, in 2010, um, the combined Verizon Secret Service and Dutch um, high-tech crime unit data set had around 761. Uh, also this year, you know, 174 million records uh, that were compromised across these breaches. Uh, you know, another thing like the mega breaches back, we had several of those breaches that were um, in the millions of records. Um, for this data set in particular, it was the second highest count so far. Uh, 2007 had around 171 million. Um, and then the high point of our study so far has been 2008, which was around 360 million. Um, one thing that we did that was a little bit different about this year's report that uh, we wanted to comment on um, is that we've, we've sliced the data in different ways to compare and contrast uh, the overall data set to large organizations. Um, we've had a lot of people talk about um, how large organizations would look at the report and see that the, uh, the data was so skewed towards small businesses um, that it wasn't as relevant to them, so we wanted to make sure that um, that we had some data that spoke directly to or, uh, larger organizations uh, so that they had better information to make decisions. So why the increase um, in, in the number of incidents? Uh, I, I think that, um, you know, obviously there was, there was more contributors this year, uh, so therefore there was also more incidents. Um, but there was also other data sources that we looked at this year that kind of showed this increase in the number of data breach incidents. If you look at Data Loss DB or the uh, you know, Identity Theft Resource Center, um, those also showed an increase in the number of breaches. 
Um, we still saw um, a continued trend from last year, um, this, this trend of industrialized style attacks against small businesses um, conducted by organized criminals. Um, these are typically targeting those smaller um, but more numerous victims. And then, of course, as you mentioned um, in your introduction, um, this sort of rise of hacktivism, um, something that was extremely fascinating to us um, is that although um, um, activist groups um, accounted for just 2% um, of the overall data set, um, they accounted for around 58% of the, of the records um, that were compromised this past year, uh, which we found completely fascinating that activists were, were able to compromise more data than organized crime. So, Chris, how was information about these 850 data breaches mentioned in the report collected? It wasn't all just from law enforcement. Um, correct. Um, uh, one of the sources, and one that was historically um, the only source that has been part of our um, annual breach report series, has been um, incidents uh, that our own um, investigative response team um, um, investigated. So this is where an organization finds out that they had a data breach or they discovered they had a data breach themselves. And so they call in a forensic firm uh, to do the investigation and kind of find out what the root cause of that investigation was. Um, we created a couple of years ago a framework for analyzing incidents. Um, we call it the VARIS framework, which stands for Verizon Enterprise Risk and Incident Sharing Framework. Uh, and so what we do is we take all the, the cases that our investigative response team uh, goes through and investigates, and we put it through the lens of VARIS and kind of take that incident narrative and translate it into specific metrics about the case. And so as you go through and you look at the report, you see that there's um, agents who commit actions against assets within organizations and affect those assets in some sort of way. Um, and so that sort of A4 model that uh, is, is very strong, and that's the kind of metrics that we're pulling out of each report. Uh, when it comes to law enforcement, um, it, it works a little bit differently. Um, obviously, they're collecting um, information about their own cases. Um, the Secret Service, for instance, um, created a tool that uses the various framework. And so they go through each of their cases and create the metrics themselves and then send them over to us for analysis. Um, the other law enforcement partners that we had, um, some of that was done through interviews. Some of it was done through uh, metrics that they created um, uh, via the, the framework and then just passed those along to us. So all in all, um, what's, what's interesting is that they're all using the same framework, uh, using Veris to collect this data. It's the same language. So, um, you know, when it, we say it's an external agent um, in our data set, uh, the definition of external agent is the same across each of these different data sets, and they know exactly what they mean. Now, I wanted to ask about Verizon's review of these annual data breaches. And, of course, you mentioned earlier that Verizon's been reviewing these breaches since 2004. Of course, 2011 reflected the second highest number of data compromises. You've talked a little bit about the increase in seeing this across the board among other organizations and institutions that are tracking data breaches. But why do you think that we're seeing an increase? Well, I think it's a, a couple of different reasons. Um, um, one, for instance, I think, uh, you know, there are more and more companies that are still uh, moving from brick and mortar to an online presence. And, and sometimes they're not doing this in, in the in the best manner possible. Um, so, uh, you know, they're not necessarily taking security um, in mind when they're doing this. They're just, hey, I need to change my business in some way. Uh, I can't uh, continue doing business the way I've always done it. I need more customers, and the Internet provides that method uh, for gaining more customers. I mean, 
uh, you get on the internet, you become a global company immediately because anybody can can buy something from you. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with it. Is is this movement of, of organizations to uh, continually moving towards uh, an online presence and an e-commerce presence? Um, I, I also think that uh, you know attackers are kind of innovating some of their attack processes. Um, we talked earlier uh, about. Uh, uh, in last year's report about this industrialization of um, um, a, uh, attack style from organized crime, and, and it's and it's something that they they've begun automating into it. Um, and I can kind of talk about that a little bit. What what they do uh, is they're looking for specific remote access services uh, that are available that are internet facing. Um, they try um, default or easily guessable credentials. Um, if they find them, then they, um, it, it automatically, uh, the tool will automatically install malware. Uh, typically, it's a keylogger, um, and the keylogger can be pre-configured to automatically collect data um, and then send that data, um, you know, out back to the attacker, either through uh, uploading it to a website or putting it on an FTP server or even emailing it to a, a specific email account. Um, and then at that point, the attackers can aggregate the data and then, you know, they put it on the black market and try to sell it, or they can turn it over to another part of their organization for, you know, converting it into some type of cash. And, and this particular type of style is increasing. It's, it's intensifying um, from last year compared to this year. So I think that is behind some of the, uh, the increase in, in, in the number of attacks. Now, one thing I thought was interesting was that the report noted that nearly 70% of the breaches originated in Eastern Europe, with less than 25% originating in North America. Why is Eastern Europe a haven for cybercrime? Great question. Uh, you know, there could be several reasons behind it. Uh, um, I, I think one uh, might be the, uh, uh, the legal framework um, in and around some Eastern Europe uh, countries. Uh, another reason, and I think this is something that's getting better, um, is just their relationships with law enforcement um, in those those, those areas. Uh, I think the, the Secret Service, for instance, as well as the FBI um, within the United States, as well as other law enforcement agencies across the world, um, are developing better relationships with other law enforcement groups within Eastern Europe. And I, I think we'll see that change over the years as, as these legal frameworks uh, mature, um, as well as these relationships become better. And that kind of answers my next question, and that was to ask, how can organizations work more closely with international law enforcement to curb some of these attacks from Eastern Europe? And it sounds like maybe just better reporting and collaboration. Absolutely. I, I think uh, um, certainly the collaboration part um, is very important. I think um, that, uh, you know, anytime there's data sharing involved, uh, um, I think it, it's really uh, more about the relationships between different investigators. Um, and even relationships between different companies and those law enforcement organizations. Now, as I noted in the beginning of our interview, this year Verizon notes a striking rise in hacktivist attacks. Why did these types of cyber attacks stand out to your researchers? Hacktivist groups have, uh, have been around for a long time. Typically what we've seen from them, though, when they're protesting an organization is uh, they may uh, deface websites or they may launch some sort of denial of service attack against an organization. Um, but what certainly has changed is the concept of breaking into an organization um, and stealing data and then taking that data and publishing it to the world. They're trying to grab anything and everything they can get their hands on, so, uh, you know, emails within the organization, um, hashed password lists that they hope to crack, um, as well as uh, other organizational data. We found it very interesting that we 
you know, based on the data from our from our caseload as well as uh, those of our law enforcement partners, is that we're able to tie actual data to some of those things that we saw this past year. Are the cyber criminals, whether they're waging the attacks for social or political reasons or whether they're waging these attacks for financial gain, are they continuing to use the same modes of systems compromise? So very interesting. Um, you know, we were uh, one of the things that we try to uh, compare and contrast is the uh, attack methodologies that, uh, you know, activists use compared to um, organized crime. Um, something that we um, found um, kind of interesting um, is that, you know, malware typically wasn't involved uh, in, an, in an attack that was um, done by activist groups, um, whereas organized crime typically uh, you know, malware was usually a pretty big uh, and predominant part of the attack, especially in compromising data. And we started looking at why that was the reason, right? So, you know, organized crime, for instance, when they get inside an organization, they want to be stealthy and, and they want to stay there as long as they can because uh, the longer they're there, the more data they can collect. And, and that means the more data that they can turn into cash. Um, whereas um, activist groups, for instance, are are trying to get in and get as much as they can as fast as possible, and they're not necessarily trying to maintain that persistent access within an organization. Um, they're not usually coming back, uh, you know, month after month, year after year uh, to grab this information. So, you know, back doors, for instance, aren't as predominant within uh, within activist attacks, which were, were quite interesting. I, I think it has a lot to do with, uh, you know, the targeting uh, or not necessarily targeting, but the, the victims of each of these sorts of things. You know, organized crime is directed at uh, many more small businesses, uh, you know, small businesses who typically uh, don't have a very protected uh, perimeter, um, especially in controlling access to remote access um, services, uh, whereas large organizations do a much better job of that. You know, they, they protect those remote access services uh, you know, remote desktop typically isn't uh, available for the entire Internet to access. Um, and so typically, uh, you know, it's activist groups uh, went through um, uh, web applications more because obviously web applications uh, are used by large organizations to uh, do business on the Internet and, and work with customers and that sort of thing. So um, maybe uh, not that they're less protected, it's just that is one of the only vectors that would be available uh, to an activist group to even try to attack. So it, it was very interesting to see the, the, the differences between the two, um, two styles of attacks. Now, based on the findings, Chris, what recommendations would you offer to security teams and fraud prevention departments? You know, it depends on um, if it's a large business or a small business. Um, in our report, we've got a special section for small businesses. Um, that gives gives small businesses uh, some very simple steps to defend themselves against uh, data breaches. Uh, pretty simple: change passwords um, for something complex, and you know implement some sort of firewall or uh, access control list uh, to uh, protect that remote access from the internet. For large organizations, obviously you want a well-rounded um, information um, security program. Um, something that's uh, not just a point-in-time uh, assessment, but a true program that measures things over time. For instance, like activist groups are targeting web applications quite often. So you want to uh, target your control um, implementations in and around uh, protecting those web applications. Penetration tests, for instance, to kind of identify, uh, you know, vulnerabilities uh, that involve uh, remote file inclusion or SQL injection, that sort of thing. Uh, protecting uh, authentication mechanisms. 
uh, putting clipping levels in place um, so that there's timeouts or failed logins. A lot of these things are pretty basic. It, it's really uh, about doing simple things and then verifying that those simple things are done. And then before we close, Chris, I wanted to ask, do you see the need for different sectors, such as healthcare and financial, for instance, needing to pursue different security modes or techniques for risk mitigation? So when we take this data, um, and this isn't available in the report, but we have the way, uh, uh, the ability to do this, where we slice the data and look at, you know, what are the different attacks that are affecting healthcare organizations? What are the different attacks affecting financial organizations? You know, and looking at the specific types of assets that are attacked in each of these different um, different styles of attacks, as well as you know who's behind it and that sort of thing. And they're very different. You know, the you know financial organizations have been uh, heavily regulated um, over the years, and so they've got uh, um, a, a certain level of uh, baseline um, behind uh, uh, security baseline behind their systems, and it kind of uh, keeps them from necessarily being the low hanging fruit compared to like small businesses, for instance. Um, and then healthcare, you know, they have a, a different set of uh, a different set of threats, um, a, a di- different types of data that they're trying to protect. There's definitely different strategies that uh, that can be employed to protect them um, and protect against those specific types of threats and controls they can put in place for those. Chris, I want to thank you again for your time today. You're welcome. I, I appreciate uh, um, talking about a report. Again, we've just heard from Chris Porter of Verizon. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.